Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn, and we have a delightful guest with us today, Raphael Bamperard. He's the founding partner of BBMG. I've known him for ages. We've been friends in the Purpose world for, gosh, it seems for years. I remember all the breakfasts that we have and the conversations. So welcome, Raphael. Thank you, Carol, so much for welcoming me to this conversation. And amen. It's been a, a privilege to share this work for so many years. And I count you as my mentor and example in so many ways. So thank you for the inspiration. Uh, you're being you're being very kind. Um, we're going to start with a bit about BBMG. But I would like to say to our listeners today that the timing for this conversation, um, it's it's Raphael's going to talk about something called the pull factor and brands for good. And what I've seen is that since the uh, Business Roundtable announcement a couple of months ago now, that companies must serve all their stakeholders, not just shareholders, that has created an incredible amount of energy and momentum around this whole issue of why does a company or brand exist? What's its purpose? Its reason for being? And then how does it serve society, its employees, its communities and such. It's a marvelous time to be in this field. Um, When Raphael and I, when we had our meetings um, over offices that are much smaller than they are today, you know, it was a question of if companies would get engaged and it's now about the how. So the pull factor, Raphael's going to explain the research who we worked with, what it means for brands. For our listeners today, there are so many insights that you will be able to learn to accelerate the creation of brands for good, the evolution of brands for good. I'm just, I'm out of my mind. I'm so excited. But I want to start a bit about just Raphael BBMG. Um, If you're in the purpose field, you know about you, you're a leader, but a lot of our listeners aren't. So tell us about the organization. And I love your focus on building brands for humans and the power of human truths. So give us a little bit of background. Wonderful. Thank you, Carol. Well, BBMG is a brand and social innovation consultancy founded about 16 years ago. And it was based on the belief that branding could be a force for transformation for people in society. In the day, um, you know, 16 years ago, branding was still thought of predominantly around brand design and logo design and identity design. But from the very earliest days, we understood that a brand was very deeply 
um, not only um, what you stand for in the mind of your audience, but very deeply how um, you uniquely create value in a way that can meet people's deepest needs, hopes, and aspirations. And when you go to that deeper level, you're starting to think about not only um, how you show up in terms of marketing or in terms of visual design, but you're starting to think about that deeper sense of purpose and the way that brands can um, both um, meet people's needs and improve their lives, but do it with integrity and the how we create value all the way into the system, the culture and how we treat and inspire and grow our employees all the way into the supply chain. And you think about the integrity of the decisions at every step of a brand creating value. And so we were really trying to help shift the perspective of brand from, you know, moving from being uh, messaging to being really at the core of mission and movement building, from being a transaction to being a relationship, and from the goal of the brand being to have a consumer buy something to the goal of the brand having someone be something in the world that's in alignment with their values and their aspirations. So our belief has always been that branding is being, and it's at the very core of value creation and shaping aspiration, behavior, and impact in the world. And I think, you know, the... the the, mo- the moment that we're in with the business roundtable and other things have only come about because of a, a reckoning in the market where obviously the next generation is looking for brands to be much more meaningful than just the products that they sell, but also the challenges that we're facing around climate and in our society are demanding that the very role of brands change in society as well. So, so, so let's talk a little bit about the next generation. And, you know, how much, um, I'm sure you've done a lot of deep diving and research for other clients, yourselves as well. Um, before we get into the pull factor and brands for good, talk about the next generation. Because I believe that many of the, the companies that, that we talk with and brands and such, they just, you know, yeah, Gen Z, you know, they lead with their values. But give us greater definition and what and knowledge. For many years, BBMG and a partner called Globescan, we've been doing a series of of global insights work to try to understand the intersection between consumers' values and their actual behavior, Uh, both behavior in terms of the market and the products that they buy, but also their behavior in terms of um, their habits and their participation with, with brands. And what we identified was sort of a segmentation that elevated a consumer we call the aspirational consumer. And the segments were the practical consumer, the aspirational consumer, and the advocate. On a spectrum of materialism, which is that they love to buy and they care a lot about their style and how they look and they're influential in terms of their friends about you know trends and brands and causes, but also social and environmental values, feeling guilty about their impact, wanting to make a positive difference with their purchases. And while the practical is a large segment, basically looking to brands to meet their needs and provide sort of price and value that they can afford and um, that improves their daily life and advocates really caring about impact and really looking to purchase with a purpose above all. The aspirational was really interesting because they shared the practical perspective. They want brands to meet their needs in ways that are accessible and rewarding and effective, but they also shared the values of the advocates. But the aspirationals didn't believe 
like advocates that brands were a problem, aspirationals believed that brands were part of the solution and wanted to join with brands in creating change together. And that unlocked a whole way for brands to see consumers not as a target audience, but really as co-creators and partners and allies in creating change together. And that's been a lens designing for aspirationals to help grow brands both in the market, but also in terms of their impact in the world. Oh, that That's great. So let's talk about one other piece of research, which will lead us right into the pull factor report. And that's the good life. Um, I know both of us have done work with sustainable brands um, regarding, you know, the redefinition. You know, what is a good life? Um, I believe it was done. We did it in 2017 in the U.S. Then you took it global. And can you talk about the dramatic shift? not just in terms of Gen Z, but what was surprising is what we found in the U.S. with all different demographics and red and blue states and different ages and household incomes, there was a different point of view about what constitutes a good life. Right on. In fact, you know, we did indeed build directly on the work that you led, Carol, in partnership with Sustainable Brands to try to explore what those signals were looking like around the world and, and put that into sort of the foundational learning that can help brands start to action purpose and to build purpose as part of their core business strategy and ultimately their brand experience. And we did indeed identify three very profound culture shifts that were happening. And you're right, it's across geography, across age, across income, even across political belief. What you see is a shift where meaning is taking much more of a priority over materialism. So we asked, what are the things that describe or define a good life? There were 27 different factors. And the number one factor was meaningful relationships um, and then being present in the moment and appreciating what's already in my life. Those were in the top five. And the very bottom of the 27 factors was luxury goods and personal wealth. Really interesting. Luxury good ranked last, which was being able to afford luxury goods is important to living the good life. Second to last, personal wealth, having a lot of money is important to living the good life. Now, financial security as I get older was in the top five, but people weren't connecting the good life and financial security with luxury goods or personal wealth. So it was much more about meaningful relationships and cultivating um, appreciation for what's already in your life. A second shift was called passion over profession. And this was about 93%. Again, top five said pursuing passions that are important to me is all about the good life or doing work that I love. Whereas reaching career goals and just thinking about your title or climbing the career ladder, much lower. And then finally, just a new American dream where overall happiness, despite life's challenges and living a healthy and balanced life, were more important to people than car ownership or home ownership. And so when you're thinking about the good life, I think if we were to you know, look back at the 1950s, it was very much about owning the car and the home and the latest, you know, appliance and, and being part of a growing consumerist society. And I think here we are 70 years later, and we're asking, are we healthier? Are we happier? Are our relationships more gratifying and meaningful to us? And we're recognizing that it's in fact, 
meaningful relationships, not materialism, pursuit of passions and a sense of purpose in our work, not just a career title. And it's an American dream rooted in balance and happiness, acknowledging life's challenges that are more attuned with what more people are looking for from life. And what we hope is that brands can understand this and start to deepen the way that they show up. That's profound. I mean, if you talk about Gen Z, you talk about the good life. And, um, you know, do we even want to have a car? Do we want to rent a car, share a car, not have a car at all? Um, Also, what it means for luxury goods, for a balanced lifestyle, like what truly is important? You know, those are amazing signals. So let's pivot now to the Pull Factor Report and your project with sustainable brands to create a culture of sustainable living for all. So what does that mean? Let's just start. What is sustainable living and how is it evolving? The impetus for the um, Pull Factor Project with sustainable brands was recognizing uh, not only that it's a moment in history where brands have to play a different role in society. We've talked about the consumer trends and the cultural change and shifts that are happening. But at the same time, um, in the context of business, we see huge, profound paradigm shifts. There's a economic paradigm shift, an ecological paradigm shift, and a technological paradigm shift all happening at the same time. And so we're in totally new territory when we think about brand leadership and business leadership. If you're the CEO or the CMO or the chief sustainability officer, you're recognizing that stewardship of a brand and creating value is happening in a very different context. Ecologically, we have 10 years to prevent irreversible climate change. 50% of all species may be extinct by 2050. You look at economic tipping point that we're facing, the great uh, inequality of wealth, and and the fact that students in the United States today owe $1.5 trillion of student debt. And obviously, the technological tipping point where we're having a reckoning in society about not only that, you know, obviously technology has made our lives immeasurably more efficient, um, but also the future of work and AI and machine learning, but also what is a fact, our mental health, our screen addiction, the very, you know, connection that we feel in our democracy all on the line. So if you're a CMO or a CEO, a CSO trying to steward a brand, The Pull Factor Project was really about what does it look like to build 21st century brands and deliver brands that are a force for good and a force for growth. The impetus of this was closing the intent to action gap. And we did it in partnership with P&G, National Geographic, Estee Lauder, Keurig Dr. Pepper, Johnson & Johnson, Happy Family, Heineken, uh, Target, and VSL. And what was really exciting about this is we have brands at different scales and in different industries all trying to unlock how do we close the gap between intent and action. And so for consumers, the gap was, you know, 65% of consumers say they want to buy from brands that are more purposeful and make a positive difference, yet only 26% reporting having done so in the last six months. And brands, 48% want to do the right thing. 48% of business executives say they believe that operating with a social purpose creates a competitive advantage, but 78% feel like 
their businesses are failing to deliver on purpose and the pledges that they're making. So for consumers, the intent to action gap is how do we make sustainable living easier and more delightful and more rewarding for more people? And for brands, how do we increase relevancy and loyalty by leveraging purpose for differentiation, for deeper engagement, um, and for evangelism and action? And so that was the, the, pre- the, the core impulse for the Pull Factor project. And we did a combination of deep qualitative work and ethnographies, some online focus groups, and then a national poll to really reveal the culture shifts that we just described. For so many decades, those of us in sustainable marketing or social purpose marketing have been trying to communicate all the good that brands do in terms of their sustainability footprint or their social cause affiliations and impact. And for a long time, we were sort of pushing this content onto consumers. And as a consequence of that, while I don't think consumers thought it was a bad thing, it just wasn't relevant to their deepest hopes and desires. And we weren't really understanding the dynamics of desire to meet consumers where they are. And so the premise of the pull factor is moving from pushing purpose to ultimately unlocking the dynamics of desire and aspiration and more deeply felt need states in order to reach them where they are and pull them in to the work that we're doing on purpose. More deeply felt need states. So let's go deeper into this. And I know that in the research that you uh, looked at nine sustainable behaviors. And so can you explain some of them, maybe not all, because we'll make sure that we put a link in our show notes um, to all this great Um, background. But talk about the behaviors and the ones that perhaps you're seeing the greatest uptake by brands. For brand builders that are listening today, um, the pull factor isn't just a challenge to brands um, to not just push purpose, but to pull people in by meeting them where they are. It's also a brand building framework and a model. And as we get into those deeply felt need states in those nine sustainable behaviors. I'd love to add up what that looks like as you think about building brands and brand value in the 21st century. So the pull factor model unites three dimensions of brand value. What people want, what the world needs, and what brands uniquely offer. And so we can take those in turn. In terms of what people want, that's indeed what you're getting at um, Carol, when we're talking about those big shifts, as well as seven different need states that we revealed in our deeper qualitative research. Now, these need states identify an ongoing and deeply felt need or aspiration, uh, or it's often rooted in a pain point that transcends an age or geography, uh, a category, and it's really a deeper human need, a deeper human truth. And we identified things like the need for momentum and making progress and feeling like you're getting better every day, the need for belonging, for a sense of worth and recognition, for feeling savvy and making the most of what you have and finding a great deal, being rooted in times of change, experiencing a sense of purpose and meaning that's bigger than a product that you buy that shapes your life and a desire for simplicity. And so you look at these need states and they apply across beauty or food or even retail. What they allow is a doorway in 
to finding how my purpose and social and environmental impact play a deeper role in helping people feel these needs are met, from feeling like they belong to something bigger, to that they're being recognized for their worth, or that they're experiencing meaning and purpose bigger than themselves. So those were the ways that we connected not only the culture shifts and some category purchase behaviors that are in our report, but these deeper need states that become design prompts or design doorways for thinking about how we can be more relevant to consumers. You've talked about the need states. Talk about some of the sustainable behaviors, because the first one that I believe I recall is it's eat more plant-based foods. In addition to what people want, we also are connecting what the world needs. And we did identify nine sustainable behaviors. And the behaviors are rooted in three um, sort of sources. How did we find nine behaviors overall that brands if they can focus on and leverage their influence and the millions, if not billions of consumers that they touch every day, we can truly change the future for our species and for the planet. So we connected um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals rooted in global international governance. We looked at the World Economic Forum's global business risks, looking really deeply at business. And then third, Paul Hawken has published Project Drawdown, which is a hundred different actions we can take scientifically based to fight climate and for climate change. And when you look at those three lenses, we identified nine behaviors broadly rooted in how might we reverse climate change, preserve resources for life, what we need and what our products are sourcing uh, into their supply chains, and then fostering more inclusive and resilient societies. And inside of that, there were nine specific behaviors, not only that materially would make a difference for um, sustainability and for social benefit and equity, but they were behaviors that consumers can take and brands can influence. So these three, reverse climate changes, is ultimately, as you mentioned, about eating more plants, going renewable by choosing renewable resources and energy and going durable by reducing single-use items and trying to move for more durable and reusable products. All of those things, when people do it and brands design for it, can really help us make a meaningful impact on reversing climate and climate change. And eating more plants is perhaps one of the most important things that consumers can do. When we think about preserving resources for life, we're thinking about land and air and water and the plants and animals um, that we need to survive, but also that are, you know, part of, of, of life and biodiversity and our habitats. And this was all about reducing food and water waste, going circular by looking at renting and sharing and buying used, not just new, and going simple by preferring simple, clean ingredients that are healthier for you and for the planet. But those are largely around sustainability and about the resources that we ultimately need to live and to thrive. But that's not all that we're facing in society. And we know more and more every day that fostering more resilient, inclusive societies will help us survive, you know, in our democracy, and, but also in the market. And so this was about supporting women and girls through education and family planning and, and women-owned businesses, expanding more equity and opportunity in your policies, but also in terms of supporting fair trade. And then the final thing for society was just showing up voting at the ballot box during elections, but also making your voice heard 
in your community and being part of the decisions that are happening locally in your community. So what the world needs is broadly behaviors that can help reverse climate change, preserve the resources we need to live, and help to build more inclusive and resilient societies. And, and brands can play a role with consumers in making this happen. Yeah, it's fascinating that you're taking this approach because um, we're working with points of light and they, in their own way, um, have defined uh, the next hundred years as the civic century. And they agree with you that it's not just, you know, it's not just buying products or volunteering, but it's also using your voice, advocating for, and really making an impact, even in a small way with your family, your community and such. So it's wonderful to see this confluence of organizations and ideas and concepts um, coming together to truly help us perhaps uh, vitally save our world in addition to have a more healthful and balanced life. Now I want to put you on the um, put you on the record, and I'd love you to talk briefly about some brands that you feel, whether they were in the research or not, that are really innovators um, in the field of creating sustainable living and uh, supporting some of these nine behaviors. So, um, who's doing it well? Indeed, in the report, we've identified a series of, of cases that show brands that are unlocking the pull factor exactly by connecting what people want, what the world needs, and how they can uniquely win by offering um, value from their brand. One of my favorites, which is rooted in eat more plants and potentially something like feeling momentum every day, is the Impossible Whopper. This is obviously the partnership Impossible between Food. Impossible yeah. Foods and, and Burger King. And this was something that was piloted last spring in about four different markets, but it was such a success. It's now been rolled out nationwide. And what's so great about it is it's taking something like eat more plants and instead of putting that in a silo of vegans or vegetarians or putting right. in, you know, sort of a um, omnivores dilemma advocacy world, it's the most mass and ubiquitous, you know, burger chain. And what I love about it is the way that they positioned it was 100% Whopper, 0% beef. Try it and don't taste the difference. And what they did is they took Whopper fans and they did a blind taste test and they found that the people who loved the Whopper the most couldn't tell, in fact, preferred the impossible Whopper. And that just shows that you can take something by innovating and by creating a brand that doesn't blame or shame someone who's eating plants or prefers plant-based food, but actually celebrates it and appreciates their desire for something that they love. Yeah, and I have to tell you, I'm a big Duncan fan, and I know that I kept seeing the sign, it's coming, it's coming, you know, because um, Impossible Foods was working with Duncan. And uh, it was November 6th, and I was at Newark Airport, I got in late, and I went, okay, I got to try it. And it was amazing. It was their sausage, egg, and cheese on a toasted English, and you could not tell the difference. And and the uptake of plant-based burgers and sausage and things like that. I mean, one we all know is it. I mean, I don't know if you know the numbers of how much water and how much methane one cow put, you know, either needs or puts out. But it's extraordinary. And if we can, no offense to the cows. We love the cows. We love Stonyfield and, you know, all sorts of great yogurts and whatever. 
um, it could have a huge impact. So, t- so tell us another one of your favorites. In preserving resources for life, one of the most exciting areas, obviously, moving to a circular design future and moving from uh, a linear model of make and then purchase and then waste to a circular model of accessing goods uh, or using goods into into you know endless resourcefulness, um, as Bill McDonough would say, is a um, Adidas, and just this past year, they launched a performance tennis shoe called the Future Craft Loop. It's made from one mono material that can be endlessly recycled. So whether it's the sole or the laces or the flaps on either side, it's all one material that can be produced for a high performance shoe and then um, broken down and remade into shoes forever into an endless circle of, of performance. And by you know simplifying the material and then finding a process where it could be made and remade, they're now moving their performance shoe line toward an entirely closed loop. What this does, which is profound above and beyond you know Adidas specifically, but the circular moment allows us to uncouple or decouple growth and sales and and having access to the products that we need and want with the environmental impacts and harms that they can create. And so the idea that you can decouple what we need and what we buy from the harm that it does opens a whole new door to what it looks like to design for the future and design for the pull factor, which is all of the performance that you want in your style and your in your athletic um, pursuits, but doing it in a way that has a positive impact for the planet. And then the third one that I think, you know, we had the privilege of working with the North Face the apparel line um, and adventure brand to launch the North Face Renewed, uh, which is their refurbished line. And it was all about bringing a new customer into the North Face, but um, designing and, and selling their products and clothes and apparel and gear that are remade to explore more and more and more so that the adventure never has to end. So from the Impossible Whopper to uh, the Future Craft Loop to um, revival of the fittest and, and the North Face Renewed. These are all great examples. And then there's a lot that we see as well looking at inclusive societies and, and in particular engaging um, women and, and supporting um, gender equality and equity. One of my favorites, which I think is, is sort of a, a, a humble giant of a, of a campaign, is Lando Lakes, you know, the, the company that makes the butter that we love and the dairy products in their supply chain and overall in, in, in the nation, many family farmers um, were starting to be bought up by conglomerates. And, in, in, and there were many women who were inheriting family farms from their spouses or parents who had died and women inheriting farms from men as well as more women working and choosing a, a path of life as farmers. And so Land of, of Lakes created a campaign called SHEIO, like Old McDonald's EIO, SHEIO, not only tells uh, a very powerful story of women and their leadership on America's farms, but it points to a deeper industry issue, which is preserving family farms, knowing that there's a generational shift and then a new generation of women is picking up family farming. And 
it's not only um, exciting to see that, but it's also very, very important to preserve family farms for the future. All of these are great examples of delightful brands solving big problems and doing it in a way that creates relevance and differentiation and loyalty for their fans. And, and I think that's what unlocking the pull factor is about. And notice we're not talking about CSR. We're not talking about 2030 goals and commitments. We're talking about brand building and creating exciting, relevant, um, delightful brand experiences. Of course, CSR will remain hugely important as we embed sustainability and social impact into business strategy. But this is a moment for marketers. And the reckoning that's happening with Gen Z and the movements and the shifts in culture are all pointing to the pull factor as a model for unlocking the future of brand building and creating brand value. And, and, and you're talking about ease. You're talking about convenience. You're talking about ultimately, unfortunately, with, you know, instant delivery today that everybody wants it tomorrow. And so um, these examples are fabulous and the research behind it really deep. But there, there's research that exists that, you know, I think you found that 65 percent of consumers want to purchase responsibly, but only around 26 percent actually reward companies with their responsible um, purchases. And so what's causing the disconnect? Um, is it just purely price? Is it uh, there's not enough communications. What can we do better as more and more companies are creating, you know, delightful, as you stated, products? Right on. I think this is really much at the core of why the Pull Factor project was inspired and created um, with sustainable brands. And that is that um, for if indeed we're going to solve for the challenges of our age, like we are in a moment, an era where um, you know, ecological, economic, and technological changes happening so fast and the need to actually address climate and resources for life and having more inclusive and resilient societies, if indeed that matters, which we believe it does profoundly. What we understand as well is that it's not the obligation for those realities and creating impact that will involve people. It's the desire for something better and creating a better alternative. And I think that the, the premise of the pull factor was very much creating ideas and opportunities and products and brand experiences that were both simpler, easier, more accessible, more delightful, and more rewarding for more people. And I think there's layers about this. One is, I think, for a long time, there's unfortunately a shadow for the first generation or show of sustainable marketing that very much was trumpeting sort of green credentials and and inviting consumers to do it because it's the right thing to do, which is perfectly fine, but was never going to scale into the mainstream marketplace. And as a consequence, there is a shadow of, you know, sustainable brands being inferior performance or more expensive without understanding what the value is that you get. Harder to find, more expensive to buy. And what you see in the examples we're showing in the pull factor is not only are these mass brands at very accessible prices, but they're coming to market with consumer needs and desires first and doing it in ways that are playful and delightful and impactful. And so I think sure. what we're solving for together is a moment where we're shifting from obligation to desire 
from sustainability as a cause or a moral obligation and the right thing to do to better design more delightful products. And if I could just share one anecdote, I was speaking to a retail um, sustainability leader in the UK. He's a brilliant gentleman. And he was talking about some of the innovations that they were bringing to market and how he as a sustainability officer was living in in two worlds. One part of his life was in the 20th century. What they had done is they rolled out a whole vegetarian and plant-based set of food options at a mass retail brand in the UK. And what they found was, boy, it was taking off. The sales and the velocity from shelf were awesome. And then he got calls from the 8,000 beef farmers that they work with across the UK being really freaked out that the company may have been pivoting away from who they had worked with for many generations. And so this gentleman described being in hybrid business, one foot in the 20th century model and one foot in the 21st century model. And he said, look, we will always be selling meat. Um, and we want to make sure that the meat we sell is the healthiest and most sustainable possible and that we bring our supply chain of 8,000 beef farmers with us on that journey. At the same time, we know consumer habits are shifting and our planet and sustainability requires us to start decoupling the consumption of beef from climate impacts. And so what he was describing was this hybrid life where we're innovating from the 20th century forward and pioneering what's possible in the 21st century at the same time. We are unfortunately getting to the near the end of the show. Um, but I always like to ask our guests, um, you know, they're listening, they're going, yes, one, I want to get the pull factor report. Well, that's easy because it's going to be linked to our show note or, or just go on the internet to find it. But what are three core insights that, you know, someone's listening there, you know, they've done their separated CSR, they're making their factories more sustainable, you know, less water, less carbon, et cetera, but they want to go farther. What are your insights of the first three things that they should think about? Well, I really appreciate this conversation and your leadership and mentorship for so many years, Carol. Thank you for including me. And I'd like to just, you know, as we think about what might be takeaways for brand builders, I'd like to go back to the beginning. You mentioned the ethos of of BBMG is brands for humans. And for us, That has always meant how might we as brand builders unlock deeper human truths in brands, but also unleash humanity in business so that we're solving deeper human needs, but also designing business in ways that can ultimately be impactful for society and the planet. And to do that, I think, is is the challenge and opportunity of 21st century brands. My three areas of sort of invitation Um, are rooted in putting humans at the center of brands and humanity at the center of business. And the first is to start with empathy. I think we're all going through a lot right now, all of the changes in society and in our politics, and we're trying to, you know, live with integrity and our values, making ends meet and be there for our families. And I think it's just a moment, rather than to start by how do we sell something, really asking how do we solve something for real people and starting with empathy and putting human truths and needs and aspirations at the core of your brand's reason for being 
and the authentic needs, hopes, and desires that you can solve for. That honesty and that authenticity, starting with empathy and the human needs you can help to address and solve, opens the door for an incredible amount of innovation and creativity. The second would be to define your brand's North Star purpose that's bigger than the product that you sell. It's the values and the ideals that you will fight for no matter what. It's what you stand for above the product that you sell. And ultimately, it's what you can uniquely do um, to meet the needs and aspirations of your audience while making a positive impact in the world. And then finally, I would say it's to rally the people with you. And rather than see a hierarchical relationship between brands selling down to consumers, imagine a horizontal relationship of equals and co-creators, co-influencers, and equal participants to join forces to shape a future we can believe in and take action on the imperatives of our time by purchasing brands that are designed with impact, but also joining together to embody and to act for things that matter most. And and I think it's a very exciting time to be a brand builder, a designer, a creative, a strategist, because we're at a moment where we're solving for more than just what we're selling. We're solving for how might we want to live in the 21st century together. And that, to me, couldn't be more exciting and important for the work we do together. And that, that's, that's incredibly well stated. And I know, you know, I think about your daughter. Uh, for those listening, Raphael has the most adorable daughter with incredible hair. And I've watched her grown up from a little teeny tiny tyke up to how old is she now? She's 13. Oh, all right. There you go. You got a teenager on your hands. But when you talk about solving for more and solving for the future, um, well, you know, I don't have children. I have fur babies. But, you know, I'm always thinking about my friends, kids and what kind of world are they going to inherit? 10 years or 20 years and and such. And and that's why this work is so, so, so important. So um, I want to give you the last opportunity just to close it out, Raphael. Um, It's been, you know, this is thoughtful work. It's important work. Um, Let's pull, you know, consumers. I don't even like calling them consumers. Let's Let's pull people into the orbit of all these companies because they do want to co-create. They do want to be sustained over time to have a positive, a mutually beneficial impact. So, you know, last parting words. At BBMG, our all-in bet, all cards on the table, is all about seeing brands as the greatest force for transformation in society. And I say that because like no other thing, Brands are the unique entities that embody systems and stories, redesigning systems for how we create value in our supply chains and how we make and produce valuable products and experiences. So we redesign the systems of creating value, but also perhaps more important in culture, retelling the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves and the world we live in. Brands uniquely can help us redesign the story, redesign the system, and create incredible transformation in our lives. And so that's my invitation, to use brands as a lens to redesign how we create value and reframe the stories we tell um, so that we can truly be a force for good and a force for growth and leverage the whole purpose conversation that you're leading for a whole new era 
a brand building. That, that's wonderful. And, you know, I'm just going to add one more thing here because I want to talk to you about it, which has to do, you talk about the stories. And, um, you know, there's new, there's a, a purpose track that's coming out of um, Reputation Institute really soon. Um, there's some research, unfortunately, just came out that said consumers are buying less of uh, sustainable products and such. So I would just like to be a champion for when you create a product in a unique way um, with passionate internal, you know, employees and maybe outside as well, partners, you have incredible stories to tell stories that, that travel on their own, um, you know, especially through social media. And so, um, just one more comment, Raphael, about, cause the communications part of this is hard. You know, many of these brands don't have hundreds of millions of dollars to put out a spot that's going to finally pierce the public consciousness that they have to use, you know, real influencers and they have to use social media. So do you have one or two other insights to share about how do we communicate um, our sustainable products and brands so that they do reach people who want to engage with them and buy them. Well, that's it's a, you're putting your finger on a, a big challenge. And I would say that one of the benefits of the pull factor project and the pull factor framework, uh, which is um, available, easy to find it um, on your, on your page for the, uh, the podcast. What is so important about it is it, closes the gaps in terms of brand building so that at the same table, you're bringing together the, obviously the marketing team and the CMO, you're bringing together the product design and development, you're bringing the sustainability officer together and you're designing brands from the inside out rather than we created a product that after the fact, what might we make in terms of a impact communication strategy? Um, and what might we hunt from our CSR report we can attach onto our new campaign for our brand or our product launch? And it's the deeper um, integration of brand building uh, that has these dimensions of what people want and what the world needs and how we uniquely win by elevating our brand equity. That's what's exciting so that hopefully in time, the idea of the conundrum of how do we attach a communication strategy on top of an existing product goes away because the product was designed and even imagined with the more holistic story from the start. And that, to me, unlocks a new era uh, where brands do become more relevant and delightful rather than brands trying to just claim or champion uh, their sustainability credential. I think it's it's an important shift that will happen over time that ends up making things a lot more impactful and a lot easier for marketers who are trying to stick it on right now. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And and I'd just like to to thank Raphael. Um, I'm I'm very proud of the journey that you've been on, the work that you do. Um, I love that you said, you know, simply put, the pull factor and brands for good is how to create delightful, desired products. And let's also not forget today that when you do this, the most important audience, your employees, are bursting with pride. 
bursting with pride, and they are the most effective storytellers in an organization through their massive network of social media. So to our listeners, um, really check this out uh, and, you know, encourage, get your cross-functional teams together, encourage them to truly look at the nine behaviors. How might you evolve your products to truly be desired? And then you will have a great answer to the question, what is your purpose? So thank you, Raphael. It's been a great conversation. I hope our listeners, this will inspire and ignite even more important work in this area. Thank you so much. 